Hello and welcome to the Rams Review Podcast. Discussion, insights, analysis, all passion, all derby. Some decisions are black and white. Let's get stuck in. Hello everybody and welcome to a very special Rams Review Meets episode and today we're going to be meeting, I think it's fair to say, uh, a legend of English football um, from from the midnight, from all the way through the 90s to the early early 2000s, uh, Mr Warren Barton. Warren, how are we? Thank you my friend, yeah, I'm pleased to say that I'm able to be here, um, obviously um, it's been difficult the last probably six, seven months for everybody but yeah, I'm based now in uh, sunny San Diego. Um, so, yeah, just pleased to be on. Uh, obviously, keep tabs on everything that's going on in the UK and obviously the soccer that's in, uh, in, in the US as well. So, yeah, pleasure to be here and thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem at all. And obviously, Corey, Corey's here. Corey, hello. Thank you, Jason. I'm, I'm starting to not get introductions anymore, so it's always a pleasure <laughs> when I get one. <laughs> and him you in the are. background. <laughs> yeah, fella. yeah, that's it. Yeah, the... the <laughs> I've become, I've become part he's, of the he's, furniture he's the one. Of it. Yeah. I, Jason describes me as part of the furniture, but I think I'm more of like your wife's heirloom chair that nobody wants that just sits in the corner, but you can't get rid of even though you're desperate to. I'm kind of like that now. Okay. So you put things on it just to make her feel happy. And yeah. Say, yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Pretty yeah. much. I, I get it. I get it. Corey has the, uh, Corey has the contacts. That's, that's what helps. He's uh, is the brains behind the operation, to be honest with you. <laughs> well, so, um, so, of course, yeah. We're, there's plenty to discuss, Warren. What, what, is, what was a pretty, I, I would say, pretty successful career. Um, we'll start at the beginning, obviously, um, from around Stoke Newington, I believe. You, that's the kind of the area that you're from. Uh, yeah, I, do know it, I do know it pretty well. Yeah, oh, okay. Stoke Newington, yeah. I was born... Um... Born in Stoke Newington uh, many, many years ago, and that's not far from the old Highbury uh, where Arsenal used to play. So as a kid, me and my brother would, uh, and, and my father would go over to see the, uh, the Arsenal games and people like Liam Brady, uh, maybe a little bit beforehand would have been super Mac, but obviously Liam Brady, David O'Leary, Frank Stapleton, getting to the three FA Cup finals, uh, West Ham, Ipswich, Manchester United. So yeah, I grew up in North London, but then... My father, who was in the, uh, the pub business, he was a publican, uh, we got places over in East London. Um, so a lot of my time I was brought up in, in East London, North London, uh, and then eventually settled over in a place called Walthamstow, which is obviously uh, on the borders of North and East London. Yeah. And that's really where I started playing football. I've got an older brother called John, so you know, from the age of about five, six, seven, we'd go over the fields and go and play. Um, and then obviously getting picked for your school, your district, um, was at Arsenal as a kid, Watford. Um, and like you said, you know, at the end of it, I had a, well, I would say a good career. For, for someone at 13, was told I was too small, was never going to make it at Watford. Uh, went down to Leighton Orient, which is a lower league team uh, in East London as well. And being told there at 16, um, the people that can remember that far back is when you used to have the old YTS schemes youth training scheme so the club didn't pay for it the government paid for it uh, and even then Leighton Orient said now you're too small yeah. um, and two and a half three years later I was playing in the Premier League for, for Wimbledon so you know I turned around and if someone would have said to me at 13 and 16 you're going to play um, playing an FA Cup final like I've watched Arsenal do and Liam Brady and uh, Alan Sunderland score the winning goal um, and then represent your country um, and arguably played for one of the biggest clubs uh, in the Premier League at the time, Newcastle, and, and obviously go to Derby County. It was a, a, a great club, and we're obviously we're getting into more detail about that situation. Um, you know, I, I would have said you're crazy, but, you know, I, I did. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed my career, um, playing in the Champions League, playing in Europa, uh, Cup Finals. So, yeah, I, I loved it, and it was a great time with a crazy game, um, being with them. Um, was an experience playing lower league. So I've really touched every part of uh, football in the UK, you know, whether it's been lower league, um, playing at the highest level, representing your country and, you know, been in the circumstances that have been 
the financial rewards that you have, but also with Derby, uh, the financial disappointment of, of not being in the Premier League. So I've experienced everything and topping that off as well. I was chairman of the uh, Professional Footballers Association. So it's given me a background of all sides of it. So I've, uh, I've used that in my career going forward uh, into media now, living in San Diego, working with Fox and lucky enough to be coaching my kids as well. So it's, um, it's been a hell of a journey and um, I, I've loved every minute of it. So, Warren, I want to take you back to the beginning part of um, your journey there with, with Wimbledon. You know, you, you talked about how you went to the old Highbury with your dad and your brother, and obviously you've grown up playing football and, um, you know, uh, loving the game and everything like that. So what's it like? Because I'm always interested in what it feels like because obviously I've never done it. What's it like when you pull on a professional, when you pull on that shirt for the first time and you sit in that dressing room for the first team about to make your debut? I mean, do you sit back and think, I mean, what, what's the emotions that run through? What are your memories of that day making, making your professional debut? Yeah, I actually made that in the lower leagues with Maidstone against Peterborough. And it was the first game of the season. And it was the first time a team called Maidstone United had been in the, the football league. So being professionals, I could have stayed lower league and got more money, but I wanted to be a professional because of what had happened in my past that people have said, you're not big enough to be a professional uh, football player, soccer player. So there's a lot of pride uh, when Keith Peacock, who was at Charlton with Alan Kerbisty for many, many years, he was my manager at Maystone United. And for him to say that you're going to start and make your debut uh, was a lot of pride. Uh, I had family there that had gone and, and watched it as well. My brother and my dad had, had drove up to Peterborough, which is not too far from London. It's, you know, about you know, 100 odd miles to go there and, and watch the game. So it's not a million miles away for them to go and watch it. Uh, but yeah, a lot of pride, nerves, nervous as well, uh, being a young boy. Um, but just really enjoying it and trying to, you know, grab the game by the scruff of the net and make sure that you, you know, be part of it. Um, but it goes so quickly, you know, the game goes over and then, you you know, at that time I ended up playing about 40 odd games, 45, 46 games for, for Maidstone uh, and making the playoffs. As well, but yeah, a lot of pride because you know it's not a nice feeling at 13 that you you're told you're never going to make it, and that's all I really knew. You know, in the states now, obviously a lot of boys go to college, get the education, and that's great. That's like my three young boys. You know, they've been brought up a little bit in the the, the English mentality, but also in in the states about getting an education. And football doesn't last forever, and you've got to be prepared for you know the, the worst situation. Um, but I didn't know anything else, you know. So when someone told me at 13, 16, you ain't going to make it, it was my, I said to Frank Clark, I am, I'm going to prove, because he asked me, uh, are you going to, what you, you know, what have you got anything to say? And I said, I'm going to prove you wrong. And, you know, three years later, as I said, I'm playing in the Premier League and, and end up representing England. And he asked me for my shirt, which is, is a cheeky bloody sub because he told me <laughs> that I was never going to make it. So it, it sort of drives you on. And that's what's kept me going in the lower leagues. And then when I went to Wimbledon, you know, my first game, my first two games at Plough Lane was against Liverpool, the great Liverpool team of the late 80s and early 90s with, you know, Ronnie Wheeland and John Barnes and Ian Rush. You know, these are legends of the game that I was playing against. And, you know, 10 months before I'm playing against Peterborough. And then the following game was against Arsenal that went on and had that famous game and won the game up at Highbury, so at Anfield. So to go into that, um, you just, as a professional player, you just grab the game by the scruff of the neck because you only get certain chances. You know, I can only, nowhere near it, but I look at what Alfonso Davis has done at Bayern Munich. Left MLS at a young age, went to Bayern Munich. Hernandez was going to be the prominent left back. They spent, you know, $70 million from him from Atletico Madrid. Um, obviously, Schürrle, the big centre-half, was going to be the main centre-half. Things have changed. So Alaba has to come in midfield. They need a left back because Hernandez is injured. Alfonso goes in there. He's ended up winning the treble on a Champions League. So you just have to take, like for any young player, you've just got to take that opportunity. And, and I did it at Maystone at that level. And Alfonso Davies done it at Bayern Munich. And you just have to take your chances. And it's, I know it's a different concept of what I'm saying, but at that time, you have to take the opportunity and, and grab it. And... Um, and I did, and I ended up playing 500 games. I had a great career for 18 years. And uh, as I said, the rest is history. So, but it's, it's a great feeling to do that because you work so hard. And just to be a professional at anything, at anything going on. Sorry, I've got the builders in the background. They're doing some painting. So they're, they're in there doing some work for me. So <laughs> I can't, I can't, I'm no good at DIY. Listen, DIY is not my thing. Um, so, you know, that's, that's where I was in, in that respect. 
one of the things I'd, I'd like to, I've always been curious about this. So you moved to Newcastle for 4 million pounds, which at the time was a considerable sum of money. Um, how does it, it still is, it still is for me and you, but not post Neymar. Yeah. Um, so how does a transfer like that come about? I mean, obviously we know that agents are involved in everything like that, but how do you as a player, do the, does the manager just call you in and say, hey, Newcastle's made a bid, we're going to let you go? Or do they ask if you're interested in talking to Newcastle or is that just all done through agents or whatever? So walk me through that period of time before you moved, when you first heard about that Newcastle transfer to the time of when it was completed and how, and how that came about. Yeah, I think, um, you know, as a player, I was under contract at uh, Wimbledon and Wimbledon was a club at the time that every year they would sell arguably their best player to keep the balance, the books, to keep the, uh, the club afloat because the money was good at that time, the TV money, but nowhere near what we're talking about now, you know, $150 million just to stay in the Premier League. But so Wimbledon was a club that would have the TV money, have the sponsorship money, but arguably sell one of their best players. The year before, it was a guy called John Scales who went to Liverpool for three million or two point, whatever it was at the time. And then as a player, you know that you just keep progressing. I've been around the England setup, uh, made my England debut. Um, was things was going well, there was a lot of tension about me coming in, whether it was Celtic, I was speaking to them. Blackburn, I've got a call from my agent that we was maybe going to go and sign for Kenny Dalglish. Uh, Sheffield Wednesday, Everton. Um, and then obviously Newcastle had been knocking at the door. And... Um, so I knew there was a lot of interest. And as a player, you just keep playing because I'd worked hard to go to that next level. You know, I'd come from the lower league, then you go into Premier League. Premier League, then you want to be successful like I was with Wimbledon. You know, we always finish in the top eight, nine, and ten. And, you know, James, uh, Jason tell you, for a team like Wimbledon to survive in that level is a great achievement because we didn't have the resources, didn't have the players of what other clubs have got. So we did that. So you just play and there's rumours in the papers about links and being moved. And then your agent starts saying, oh, this one's coming. And I remember playing at Hillsborough for Wimbledon against um, Sheffield Wednesday and Kevin Keegan and Kenny Dalcleish had come to the game. And I was on a roll at the moment. And any athlete can tell you that you have certain times where you're just playing well. You don't know why. Tiger Woods had it when he was doing it. Other athletes have had it, you know, where you just play. And I was, I was really playing well. You know, things was going for me and I had a very, very good game. And that sort of made Kevin's mind up. The following week on a Monday, it was a holiday time, and I got the phone call from my agent to say, look, Kenny, uh, Ke Kevin Keegan wants to meet you in a hotel in London. So, you know, you go down there. Wimbledon agreed the fee. I just met Kevin, and he said to me, come and join a big club. Um, I got the green light from Wimbledon. They'd accepted the fee. Then it was my negotiation. It, it was done within about three or four minutes. It, it was never a question about money. Um, and then you, 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 you go and you get, your, you get your move. So you sort of hear of it in the background, but it does happen very quickly. Unless you're a free agent, like now, you know, the Bosman, where you can negotiate, you can wait, you can simmer. But at the time, it was a fee, and it was a, it was a record for a defender in the Premier League at the time. So, you know, as I said, four million is still a lot of money for the guys working in the streets. But today, you know, it's, you're talking about 35 million just for a squad player. Um, but for me to get that, again, going back to what I said, being told you're too small to all of a sudden be a record for a defender, you, you have that negotiation. I spoke to David Dean at Arsenal because that was my club and the chairman at the club time was David Dean and chief executive, but they never had a manager. They was in between and anyone that's ever met Kevin Keegan and Newcastle, they was flying high, they was doing well. I'd met players in the England squad, Peter Beersley, Rob Lee, Barry Vanison, Steve Howie, obviously played against Newcastle. Uh, as well and heard the fans and the, the energy up there. Uh, so it was sort of like a no-brainer. Um, you know, if it was anything, it would have been Arsenal or Newcastle. But, you know, I'd spoke to Kevin and it, it was all done. You know, he said, come and join a big club. And I wasn't disappointed. Did you ever find that the price tag, I know sometimes they say, oh, this player's weighted down by the price tag. Did you ever feel when you stepped on the pitch that four million pounds for Warren Barton, was that, was that ever weigh on your mind at all ever? No, I thrived in that. I really did because it was, I was proud of what I've achieved. I'm proud to be told you this, you're that, you know, you're not going to do it, you're not going to make it, things like that. Let me try and try and cover him up a little bit. But um, yeah, so no, I was proud of that. And, you know, I see like Harry Maguire, you know, he can do nothing about that price tag, you know, that. 
but then you have to perform well. Uh, and I was lucky enough at, at Wimbledon, sorry, at Newcastle, that we hit the ground running. I was bought on a Monday or Tuesday. Les Ferdinand was bought on a Wednesday for another record of six million for a player. So it's sort of covered it a little bit there. But you just, I'm, I'm proud of it, you know, because as I said, you've been told you're this, you're that, and then someone's willing to pay that. You can't affect, you know, the money that they're talking, whether it's Jordan Sancho or whatever it may be, um, the, the price tag. So no, I didn't, I thrived on it. I, I was proud of what I, you know, that someone was willing to pay that. Jason? Yeah, well, obviously, um, before that move, we we can't talk to you, Warren, without talking a bit more about uh, Wimbledon and obviously some of the some of the people that you played with there and just everything that you achieved, everything that you achieved at Wimbledon. Um, it's even now, is it what thirty years on, twenty five years on? What you know, it's still spoken about today. What that team for obviously yourself uh, involved in that I mean you've heard uh, uh, Vinnie Jones obviously talk about it you, you've heard the the others talk about what it was like being down there for, for you what was it like it was you know it was a, such a unique club um, in the time of what we did how we trained you know the likes of John Fashionew, um that was actually a, a more of a TV star than a a soccer player. I mean, he never really trained Monday to Thursday. He'd come on the field and do his you know, Tai Chi and his stretching and then he'd go off and do his business ventures. And, you know, Vinnie Jones was, was Vinnie Jones. I mean, he's, for the US audience, you know, his name was Psycho and, and crazy. So that told you a lot about what Vinnie was like. And, um, you know, you've seen him now being a successful movie star and still a friend of mine up in Los Angeles. So, you know, but we could play, you know, that was a big part of what we... We did. We used to intimidate teams. We're not denying that, whether it was a Southampton or a Norwich in the tunnel, uh, Coventry. We, we would intimidate uh, and win the game before we even kicked a ball. Um, we played to our strengths. We had a lot of characters, you know, and um, we had good athletes at the time. You know, you, you talk about like the early 90s. We was doing cool downs, running and athletics way before other teams was doing it. You know, we was really into that mindset of, of how we was going to uh, train and perform. So it was a real um, team of togetherness and spirit. And, and then you throw on top of that, people could play, you know, winning the FA Cup final against Liverpool, against all the odds. That's the biggest underdogs ever to go out and achieve it. Maybe Leicester, you could throw that into it. But in a one-off game, Liverpool at that time was, was legendary. And that group of players with Laurie Sanchez and Dennis Wise, Besson, you know, to go on and win it. And that carried the, the status through the club. Um, you know, the initiation test that we had for players, you know, whether it was setting their clothes on fire or slashing their tyres and you could never get away with it now. You know, players would sold, they'd get their agents down there. But, the, you know, John Hartson, who come from West Ham, who was a, you know, a tough, good uh, centre forward, we set all his clothes on fire and he sort of bought into that and other people would have got upset, they would have cried. But we, we, we would test people. Um, and I remember Vinnie Jones, you know, myself, I, I come into the... A quick story, I'd come in the papers, I'd be playing for England, we'd won a game and, you know, I'd come up and said, we can play, we're good players and, you know, you know we're going to do this. And Billy grabbed me by the neck and said, don't ever do that again. And I'm thinking, you know, what, what for? And he went, we don't want people to know that. Let, you're a good player, you're going to move, but we don't want people to think we're another club. We're not, we're different. And um, we did that and we were successful for many, many years until it changed the ownership. The Norwegians come in, a different culture. Um, you know, and it just ruined, you know, just changed the whole club. It's like, you know, each club has its own identity. Um, and Wimbledon was, I tell you what, it was a lot of fun playing for because we'd had fun on the field and we'd have a lot of fun off the field. And we was that age of being hungry and wanting to impress and whoever moved on the next conveyor belt of players would wish them well. So everywhere you'd go, you'd see an ex-Wimbledon player. And one thing that every Wimbledon person has got is a bit of character. Uh, and you can't say that about every club and every player that's played for it. Um, but Wimbledon have got that in abundance. You know, we still have a, a WhatsApp now with all the players, whether it's like Marcus Gale, Jason Newell, uh, even their chief executive at the time, David Barnard, who's at Chelsea. We're all on the same WhatsApp and keep friends with everybody. Um, and that just shows you that spirit that we had. But we could never get away with it now uh, <laughs> with all the social media and everything that was going on. But we had a bloody good time anyway. Yeah, like you say, 
just the way the way that society is these days, you, you're not going to get another team um, like, like Wimbledon where we're in those late nineties. To be perfectly honest with you, um, and obviously football, football fans and football players that have played lower that can express this and understand how the culture was. How like you walk in when I played non-league, you walked into a locker room, a changing room, and you had a plumber, electrician. But they was all mates when you started playing. And that's how we was. There was no one that was like the big one. All right, Fashion U was the first one to have a Mercedes. But that was Fash. We sort of, he was like the godfather. We sort of accepted that. But it's like, that's why we had so many fans. Because, okay, our style of football and it was direct and maybe a bit ugly. But the, the common fan that would go and watch lower league and things like that, they sort of said, yeah, if, if I was playing, all right, I've not got the ability of Dennis Burkamp or Henri but I'd have a bloody good go and give everything I've got on the field. And I think that's what we did. Um, and that's why people sort of rooted for us when we was playing against the big boys. Yeah, absolutely. And I must admit, it was uh, obviously a little bit of a shame for when things went a little bit south for the team and obviously redirected to Milton Keynes and all that. And I've, I've been, I, I was, uh, I've been to uh, the, where they play at the MK stadium now and things like that. And, Obviously, I know from people down south, I've got quite a lot of friends and family down in London and I work down there for quite a lot. So I do get a good feel for quite a few places down there. And um, we've got a few friends out down south, Brixton way and that kind of way. And they all said, obviously, what a, what a shame it was and yeah, that kind of thing. And then obviously AFC Wimbledon was born and and all that, which, which, which was great, of course. Um I can't, obviously, before we move on to Derby, I have to mention um, your time uh, with the Toon Army. Um, when I told my wife that I got you coming on to this podcast, um, she's a Newcastle United fan. So uh, she didn't realise you'd played for Derby, but she, she wouldn't be interested um, about that. Um, she's from, she is from up north. So, um, but when I said, oh, have you ever heard of him? She was like, yeah. I was like, oh, okay then, so. You've got a fan in my wife as well. That, that's for sure. Um, but obviously, going going from the likes of New, uh, going from Wimbledon, who, like you say, they, they had that style of play. They had, they had the the nation behind them. Certainly in that cup final, one hundred percent. And I don't mean any disrespect. What I'm about to say, but I suppose moving to Newcastle was a big step for you. It, it was possibly going on to that next next level with the likes of the players. You know, obviously that you had there, um, and. As you mentioned just a minute ago, you know, some of the achievements that you made that you had with that Newcastle, um, with that Newcastle squad, and and some of the players that was attracted to St James's Park, and you know, I remember obviously yourself and, and Rob Lee, and who I remember, obviously you played with at Derby as well, and in you know players like that in the heyday, and obviously um, I'd, was Shearer there when I presume Shearer was probably there when you were around, uh, you know, and. and Ginola and you know all those Aspria that was my wife's favorite player you know all, all kind of players like that and obviously you know you, you you were you were challenging for the Premier League yeah with, I mean, with Newcastle which obviously is definitely something that they haven't done for a long time yeah no it was a wonderful time you know and that's where I was ready to move from Wimbledon to, to try and compete for trophies uh, and at that time with with Newcastle and anyone in the northeast at that time in the mid 90s uh, the whole city was thriving uh, the industry was was really uh, erupting there whether it was apartments restaurants bars um, it was a really exciting time you know and and, and the, the football club was a big part of that whenever you go into Newcastle on the train or off the A1 the first thing you see is the stadium and it's such a big part of the community you know it's a bit like a Leeds in a sense it's a, a big city with uh, only one football club um, and from that point of view, you have that responsibility. You know, I've gone from Wimbledon where one game in the Premier League, I'm talking about, not in a, like a, a cup game, in the Premier League, we had about three or 4,000 against Bolton uh, in a game on a Saturday afternoon to turning up for training with David Ginola, Les Ferdinand, myself in a car and 5,000 people are watching you train, just watching you train. There was 10,000 people waiting for season tickets. Uh, the new shirts that was being sold in the club shop, 8,000 people queuing up at midnight to get a shirt. Um, so it was, a, it was a special, special club um, and a team that was progressing from challenging, getting into Champions League Europe uh, to try and win in the Premier League. Um, and to go there and have the likes of, you know, Kevin Keegan as the manager, 
David Ginola, you had David Batty playing, Tino Esplia coming in, Rob Lee, Peter Beardsley, arguably one of the most talented English players of his generation, um, playing and, and, and to throw into that myself, Philip Albert, John Beresford, uh, it was a great time um, and we were challenging with Manchester United and, and the likes of Arsenal uh, and we did that, we finished twice, um, we come second twice, um, we were actually obviously nine points clear and and unfortunately, they caught us. Anyone else uh, would never have happened. Um, but just great, great memories. A great place. Uh, you know, nearly eight years up there uh, with my family. And loved every minute of it. You know, playing for the club, playing in Champions League, beating Barcelona with Tino Asprey getting a hat-trick. Um, you know, challenging, as I said, two FA Cup finals. We unfortunately lost to Arsenal and, and Manchester United. One went on and done the double. The other one won the treble in 99. So, you know, there was lots of good memories. And then just to finish it off, in the early 2000s to have someone like Sir Bobby Robson as your manager and get the team back into the Champions League and challenging again uh, was a, a wonderful achievement. So to have that experience in the city, the people, and again, I thrived in that. You know, some people were suffocated, you know, every time you went in a supermarket or a petrol station, you know, why didn't you win or why are you winning and what's going on? And, you know, I remember sitting in a restaurant with my wife in a, in a Chinese restaurant downtown and, you know, three guys that have been at work all day come and sat with us for an hour, uh, eating our food up, telling us where we're going wrong, and me and my wife are having a dinner. So, you know, that was part of, you know, being in, in that environment. And uh, as I said, I loved it. And some of the players that we played against and played for, uh, arguably some of the best players to ever play in the, you know, in the Premier League with the likes of Burkham, Henri, the likes of Roy Keane, you know, um, Andy Cole, Dwight York. You know, we played against them week in, week out, Ryan Giggs and... We went toe-to-toe -to -toe with them and, you know, like Derby uh, and Newcastle, they've had some tough times um, and their fans have stayed loyal to the club and supported the club, even in these difficult times. And, um, you know, thankfully for Newcastle, they're in the Premier League. Um, and, you know, I was hoping for Derby to do it last year, um, you know, because it's a great, it's a wonderful club. And they both remind me of their fan base, how they get behind each other, you know, Newcastle in that city. Uh, and in that North East, you know, when you played against Sunderland and, and Middlesbrough, it was a special, special time. Um, and, and as I said, I loved every minute of it. To be fair, you, you've, you've, you've queued me up for, for my next question. Um, I have been to Newcastle, not to, uh, well, I've been to watch Derby, but I've also been um, just, I was out there for a weekend a couple of years ago, up there for a, a couple of years ago. Um, on a match day and like you say Warren the the passion I mean obviously back then like you say when you were playing you know you, you were you were challenging I mean when I was up there obviously this I think Newcastle were surviving think, yeah basically I, I'm just trying to think if they were in the Premier League or still in the Championship when I was up there I can't remember now um, but still like you say I mean that 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 walk obviously from the town centre up the hill to the ground which is one hell of a bloody walk by the way um, and uh, the little Irish bar across the road from from St James's Park that I've been in and obviously the the, the bar at the complex there and you know just seeing everything it it reminds me a lot of obviously going going to Derby uh, when when we're hopefully back allowed to and things like that and and just the passion from fans I, I know a lot of clubs will say that they've got passionate fans um, but the the word Toon Army is obviously known around around the globe for globe for their fans, and um, I, I'd have to agree with you that you know from what I saw personally, um, walking out onto the pitch in front of that every every week, uh, you know, every two weeks at St James's Park must have been must have been a pretty special uh, pretty special occasion. And you know when that place was rocking, they say Anfield's pretty good, and you know when that's rocking in Old Trafford and that kind of thing. But when St James's Park was rocking, I suppose back in those mid to late 90s, it must have been a fantastic place to play football. Yeah, you know, just speaking about there makes the, the hairs on your arms stand up because, you know, you know all week then people have worked hard uh, and they expect you then to entertain uh, and perform well. You know, just an insight of it. We beat Bradford and Watford 1-0 and we got booed off. <laughs> and, you know, we were second or third. So, you know, that just shows the, the passion and the intensity. But then when you travel to Coventry, or Selhurst Park, Crystal Palace, which is probably the worst stadium to get in and out. And you've got 8,000 Geordies screaming and cheering you on. And you respect that responsibility. You want that responsibility. I'm not saying it was always easy. You know, we, we lost games and you'd have to go over there and they'd, they'd be disappointed. But, you know, when you have that going in there as a, 
as a as a player on the bus and you can see the fans walk in and the kids the, the wife the family they go across the road to i know the pubs the black ball or the, the strawberry where the pubs all nearby and everyone's having a drink it's a, it's a it's a lifestyle and that's what we're missing at the moment i mean one thing with this pandemic it's great having the tv money sponsorship money but the fans make every football club whether it's derby newcastle afc wimbledon the fans make the club it's not the sponsorship. It's not the corporate people. It's the, it's the fans that you know have their routine of how they're going to go, what shirt they're going to wear for the game this weekend. Is it the lucky one that they won last week? So just to have that as a, as a player. And in, in St. James's Park, as you do, you go down to come up. Um, and as yeah. you go down, you can just get a sense of the roar. And then when they made it to 52,000 people, to hear that roar um, was something that, you know, one, spurred you on other players it would intimidate on the opposition um but it was just a, a wonderful feeling because you know there was like a, a frenzy of a build-up of what they've been waiting and looking forward to and then you had 90 minutes to show them what it was all about um and i loved it and that's one thing as a player you miss um you know as i said as you get old and you you remember that but you know when you've got looking around you've got a gary speed or you've got an alan shearer next to you or a shay given and a rob lee or David Ginola or Les Ferdinand, them next to you in the locker room, uh, give you that extra lift. And whoever you was playing against, whether you look across and there'd be Henri Burkamp, uh, Patrick Vieira, Petit, I'd fancy my chances with this lot. And, uh, you know, like I'm saying, we've won and lost games, but we'd, we'd, we'd go toe-to-toe with them. And it was a great, great experience um, uh, and a wonderful thing that I'll never forget because they're great people. And the, the Derby fans, I'm not being patronising here, but I, that's one of the reasons when I went with John Gregory, Simon, me and Rob uh, went down there. They had the same mentality in, in that city and the people there. Were there. You know, they worked and they wanted you to do well and they'd get behind you. And Yeah, they'd be frustrated, but they really got behind the team. And, you know, it, it, was, a, it was a special club, both of them. You know, a, a really, really good clubs. And a proper fo- what I always think, like a proper football club. It's not been manufactured. It's, it's from the people that the history and... That they get behind the team, the kids, the dads, the parents, the grandparents, they've all gone and watched games. So Warren, you just talked about um, the shirts and stuff like that, and you mentioned Derby very briefly, and I, I want to get to Derby in a minute, but while you were at Newcastle, you made your England debut. So I'm very curious to feel, because I always, I always again, I, I, it's kind of similar to when you pulled on the professional shirt. I mean, when you when you sit in that dressing room and you put the three lines over your over your heart for the first time, I mean, what's that? What's that feeling like when, walk me through getting the call. I'm assuming it was a call and not over like a video prompter or I don't think they had text messages back then. Show you how old we are. We've got a fax center. So, you know, again, you know, was playing well in the Premier League um, at the time. Obviously, I'd been involved with Graham Taylor in the early 90s at that time when they had B squads and, you know, just get togethers more than just games. So I'd been around since the 90, yeah, 90, 91, 92, every now and again, I'd be called into the squad. But then getting ready for Euro 96, obviously Terry Venables was, was in charge. And um, I'd been called into the squad quite a few times against maybe Nigeria, Norway, Denmark, you know, there's a, a few games going on. And then I get the call again, you know, the, the facts comes through. Joe Kinnear, you've been called up again. We was playing the Republic of Ireland. Um, and obviously in the mid-90s, that was a big game. It never really happened as a friendly. It'd been times where they'd met in the Euros, uh, Euro competitions and, and other, uh, other games, but never really had a friendly game. So it was a very, very big moment in the FA and the Irish FA's uh, schedule. Uh, and Terry Venables pulled me to the side beforehand and said, look, you're going to make your debut. In arguably a very passionate it wasn't so much hostile at the time because we, we, we was going into it as, as friends to try and cover a lot of bridges in the, on the politician's side. So we was going in as, as players to try and, and I knew a lot, Terry Phelan, who again, another one who was at Wimbledon with me, he'd been playing now for Manchester City. So we'd had a lot of players that we knew on the Irish team, you know, whether it's Paul McGrath and you know, Noel Quinn, people like that. So a lot of good people that we knew uh, and being told that that you're going to represent your country um, is a very proud moment, you know. And straight away, I told my family and you know, my mum, dad, my fiance at the time, which is now my wife, 
she come over there and you know brother and sister um, had all gone over to Dublin to watch it so a real proud moment and even I, I still got them now you know when we used to train you've got the training shop up there at Derby I remember saying to the England kit man can I can I keep my training top you know just had the free lines on and you get a tracksuit given and you know, to have that opportunity to, to represent your country. Again, going back to what I said, being told you're too small, you're never going to make it. And now I'm singing the national anthem uh, for my country in the starting 11. Uh, so you're just bursting with pride. Um, you can't wait to get going. There's obviously noise. There was, you know, people booing and hissing with the national anthems. So you got a sense that it wasn't a, a normal game. It wasn't just an England versus Denmark at Wembley. It wasn't that type of game. Um, and the game kicked off, you know, Ireland played really, really well, put us under pressure. It was so windy, the, the game. So as the actual game, I don't really remember too much about in the sense that what type of game it was. I've seen it a couple of times, but then, you know, David Kelly scored um, and then all hell broke loose. You know, the English, they're not fans, they were hooligans, uh, started ripping the seats up. And I just remember my family, because obviously I was singing National Anthem and I could see my mum and my wife there at the time and my family and I'd give them a wave and a thumbs up. I could see where they was and it was underneath where the England fans was throwing uh, anything they could at people down below. Uh, so that obviously costs your mind and it's just a lot of uh, most of mixed, uh, different emotions and mixed emotions as well. Is like, why is the game stopping? I want to keep playing and are my family okay? And what is, it's a bit surreal that, you know, that time, all this noise, but then it's silence. Um, and then the referee, rightly tired, said that the game had got abandoned. So from the emotions of being bursting with pride uh, and obviously looking back and seeing your, your mum and everything, you know, I've got a tear in her eye that you're playing. So then the game has been stopped because of people just wanting to cause trouble and, and, and cause you know, chaos at a, a football game was, was disheartening. But, you know, people like Peter Beersley come over to me, David Platt. Um, spoke to me, she, you know, people that come around and said, you know, don't worry about it, you know, you'll be okay, you get another chance, you're playing well. And, you know, we, we had to get back on the bus, we went back, but, you know, I had that emotion and then I was lucky enough a couple of other times being in the squad. Um, obviously, I didn't make the Euro 96, but Terry still wanted us to be around myself, Ray Parler, Steve Howie got injured. So we, we was in and around the boys, but was never going to be part of it. Um, but it's just a you know a great thing to have that as you said the three lines on your chest and sing the national anthem. It was such a, a proud moment for me. Uh, I've still got my England caps I keep. Um, you know, and, and as I said, another part of, of of my of my journey, which was which was the pinnacle for anyone is to represent their country, and, and I did it. Uh, whether it was six times, sixty times, it doesn't really matter to me. You, you've still been able to wear that that England shirt, which is a, which is a big deal for me. So moving on from England to Derby County, um, John Gregory signs you and you move into basically a brand spanking new Pride Park Stadium. Um, what are your... Queen. I met the Queen as well. We opened it with the Queen. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So next question then. Uh, what was it like meeting the Queen? That is the most nerve-wracking thing I've ever had. I've never been so petrified. It was Mark, me, Mark Poom and Danny Higginbottom. Um, the Queen was allowed to come in. We'd had the briefing before, how to shake her hand, how to address the, Her Majesty. And I'm very patriotic. You know, I love the Queen and I know it's been a long time. And, but I, all I've ever known is the Queen and the Union. It just means so much to me. And like I, I think it shows when I'm saying about representing my country. You know, yes, there's a lot of things in my country going on that I'm not proud of. But one thing is, is the, the, the Queen and, you know, to actually have the opportunity to meet her. But... I was gobsmacked, you know, to have the, I had a picture as well. And, you know, you'll know, well, you won't know, but I'm now a US citizen. So when I was putting my file together and putting it all together, I put a picture of me and the Queen in because someone said, you know, that's a status. That's a big thing. Not everybody meets the Queen. So I, I put that in my file as well. So I ended up getting my passport. So I've got dual citizen now. So remember, Her Majesty helped me out there. So, but it's such a big, you know, it was a wonderful time for Derby and all the kids in the local uh, schools would come in she come around and she was like just elegant and like a porcelain doll, you know, just shook her hand and introduced her to Danny and Mark Poom and took her around the stadium. So it's a, a big, big moment for me uh, being captain of the club. Um, and, and again, just a real nerve wracking experience because it, it's, it's the queen, you know, it doesn't come any better than that for me anyway. So what were your, what were your experiences obviously outside of meeting the queen, which 
hopefully is not the highlight of your time at Derby, but, um, you know, playing in the, in the first few games of Pride Park, being brand spanking new and, and opening up there and, like you said, being club captain and stuff. What's your memories of your time at Derby? Yeah, I mean, the move happened very quickly, like you said, with John Gregory. Uh, I was at Newcastle and I've been left out a couple of teams and, and me and Bobby had spoken and said, look, he wants me to be here, but I'm not going to play a lot. I was 33, uh, but I still felt I had a lot to offer. He, he offered me the job. Did I want to start coaching the following year with the academy? I said, no, Gaff, I want to play at least until I can get to 35. So anyway, it was great. John Gregory come along. He was a new manager, um, phoned me up and the deal was done within 20 minutes, you know, um, left Newcastle, which was tough because I'd been there and be very happy. Uh, but just had a really good feeling with Derby, you know, and John Gregory was, spoke about the club and, and obviously I'd played against uh, Derby a couple of times when they was in the Premier League, at, but the old baseball ground actually, when they in the first division. So going to that stadium, uh, new training facilities as well. I looked at the squad, but it was such a, a divided club at, at the time where, you know, they had a lot of players from the ex-manager. John had gone in with his own ideas and wanted to bring the younger players through, but some of them wasn't ready. We still had people like Ravinelli, Carbonari and, and Craig Burley, you know, some, some good players that w was going. And we, we hit the ground running, me and Rob. We, we beat, I think we won three games in the first five games against um, Spurs. We beat at home, Tottenham. We beat them 1-0. And then we went to Leicester, beat them. Um, but then the next eight games was against the top eight teams. And, um, you know, it was going to be difficult after them. But a really good football club, lovely people. Um, um, but the following year was a real challenge, going into the championship with the divide of that, where John wanted to use younger players like Chris Riggett, uh, Danny Higginbottom at the time, Malcolm Christie. And Leicester went down at the same time. And if you remember with Martin O'Neill, he kept a lot of the senior players, like Matty Elliott, Taggart. That championship, you have to have them type of players. And John had made his mind up to get rid of them uh, in the off-season. But unfortunately, they was on so much money, no one was ever going to touch them. But John had said to him, we didn't want them. So you had six or seven good players that wasn't involved. Um, that as well, on the sets of when we went down in the May, in the June, the sixth or seventh, they went into, it was like a, a computer company, went into the offices and took the computers away because it wasn't paid for. So straight away, there was a financial problem. Us as players in September had to defer all our wages, the, the senior players had to defer at least 30%, but people like the younger ones who had had bills and mortgages and cars, they was panicking. So we had to get the PFA. So not only are you trying to deal with a changing room that's divided and also getting into the championship, which is arguably the hardest league to play in. I, I think that it's, it's relentless, the games, how they play. Everybody thinks they've got a right to get back up. You've got the disappointment of being relegated. People are losing jobs. People are losing salaries. People are losing, obviously, an income coming in. And I was the captain. So I'm having to go from meeting to meeting to meeting to try and put out fires. And I was the chairman of the PFA at the time. So I'm having to go in and do that and try and perform. So it was very, very difficult um, for the club to bounce back. And we didn't have a very good season. Uh, but on the bright note, I did enjoy the club. I did enjoy the fans. I, the city that we was around, we'd go in and see and see the people around there. The potential of getting back was, was very, very good. It was just at that time, it was a, a conveyor belt of the players, the money, the misguidance, a little bit like Leeds. You know, the financial, they'd got spread themselves so thin that when that TV money wasn't coming in, people was losing jobs. And I'm not talking about players, I'm talking about people that had lived in Derby all their lives and, and worked at the club, worked in the club shop, worked in the office, work with the academy, they was losing jobs. And that was people that I knew. Um, so it was a very, very difficult time. I'd love to be positive, but I think sometimes Derby fans and other fans need to realise what's going on and the implications of being relegated. And no one wants to be relegated. But, you know, the scenario was we, we had eight games left and, and seven or eight of them was against the top teams. And we won a couple of games, but ultimately, no, we lost to Chelsea. We lost to, we drew at Man U. We lost to Arsenal. You know, Liverpool, we lost. So it was, it was always going to be difficult. Um, but I, I still don't regret going to that club. Um, enjoy the people like Davo, the kit man, is still there. I still speak to people there. Shay Given, a very good friend of mine's there now, as well as a goalkeeping coach. So I've got a, a soft spot because I feel for the people. I feel for the club because how it was run. 
Uh, and that's why I would love to see it up when Frank Lampard was there trying to get them back in the Premier League. Um, they deserve it. The, the people in the club deserve it. Not necessarily the players or what. The people in the club deserve to get back up there because they give so much at that time because it was very, very difficult. You know, you can imagine you're trying to be positive and go, but, you know, people are losing jobs. It's like now, you know, it, it's, it's hard to get motivated. But we did the best we could. Um, but unfortunately, it wasn't good enough to stay up. Um, and then the second season was hard. And then John was relieved of his duties. Uh, George Burley come in with new ideas, new beginnings. And, and, and you know, my time was up. And, and that, was, that, that was fine. But I don't regret at all being part of a, a team like Derby County because I'm proud of them. I, I've always, you know, only 50, 60 games, whatever I played. But I, I enjoyed my time there, even, as I said, in them circumstances. Jason, before I turn it over to you, Warren, you just mentioned, you know, your Derby County club captain. Derby's not going through the best of times. Your PFA, your head of the PFA, and you've got to continue to, you know, obviously you've got to continue to play well on the pitch. For you, obviously, you've got some leadership skills because you're captain of Derby County. Um, how, how, did, how did you manage all those competing interests at the same time? Did you have to compartmentalize them or did you kind of just take them as a whole and said, this is another challenge I'm going to meet? It was another challenge, but it was really hard. If I'm being totally honest, uh, obviously you're older in your career, so you're a bit wiser, you can bounce that. You know, I liked Craig Burley. Fabrizio was his own man. So, uh, you know, he, I let him do his own thing. But I liked Brian O'Neill, I liked Craig. And, you know, to see what they was going through, I, I, it was hard because... I'm trying to motivate the younger players, but it is a very difficult when you're going into an office and, as I said, someone's clearing their desk up because they've, they've been you know, relieved of their duty. So, and the type of person I am, which John Berris would said to me many, many years ago, I'm honest, I take it personal that I want them to, I want to help them. Some people find it hard just to switch off and say to Lucy in the office, she's lost her job in the, in the club store. That's not my problem. But I, I took that personally, even when we was doing the radio, local radio, the newspaper, the fans, you know, they're coming on, they're having a go. I took responsibility because I felt as a captain that that was to do it. But it was hard because you go in at training and you want to perform and to go well. But you, you, I, have, I had a responsibility to speak to the fans and to speak to the people in the office, speak to the younger players like Danny Higginbottom would come to me and Rob Lee after training, what am I going to do about my money? How am I going to, I want to go and move. What I, so you have it to deal with all that. And I could have quite easily said, you know what, it ain't my problem and walked away. But I'm not like that. Um, but it, it was very, very tough. It was very, very tough. And something that's helped me in my life, uh, finishing football and going on. But because I like, you know, I like people. I generally want people to enjoy the experience. And, um, you know, from that point of view, it, it, it was difficult. But, um, you know, it's life. You have to move on. Uh, like my son coming in the office now, he's moving on. So it was just part and parcel of it. And, um, you know, as I said, it was, a, it was a real difficult time for everybody. You know, listen, for me, just to play and to try and deal with things. But as I said, people's losing jobs. Uh, so that was even tougher. So then, uh, Corey Warren, this, this is my forte because my first ever season ticket at Derby was the year after we got relegated. Oh, wow. So uh, I, I, um, I was 14 at the time, I think, 15. So it was the first season ticket. So Warren, I, I watched every every game you ever played for Derby, certainly at Pride Park, let's put it that um, And quite a lot at the time. I used to go away uh, most weeks as well. So, uh, well, I just my, like, Jason, that gives you an insight because I don't think it's ever really been said, you know, with John and how it was. And yeah. now how money is in the game and... Um, for you as fans, you know, we'd go around and appreciate you being there. And that's not any BS. That's not, that's just, we, we made a conscious effort, but there was so much going on. You know, yeah. we, we was putting out fires everywhere. Um, and all the fans wanted us to do was do well and get back in the, and get back in the Premier League. Um, Absolutely. So. Absolutely. And echo those thoughts, Warren, from, from the stands, I can assure you. I mean, obviously coming down, Derby had a good seven or eight year run. There was no doubt about that. Um, obviously, one thing led to another. Money was, I think, obviously, I think it changed. The chairman changed hands as well. Obviously, ownership and everything like that. That all changed with with Lionel leaving. Um, and they tried to take Derby to the next level, but unfortunately, the wrong people got hold of the club. Um, so, and then, like you say, the likes you come down off from the Premier League, your likes of Rig, Chris Rigger, Mark Poom, you know. Th- who ended up going, in, in all fairness, ended up going for peanuts yeah. in terms of transfer yeah. value. Yeah. 
Um, and I remember those being at the club right at the start of the first few games of the season. Um, and some of them weren't playing and a lot of the fans were going, well, why aren't they playing? But it was all about appearance, bon- uh, you know, appearance bonuses and, and that right. kind of thing. And it just, it just, it couldn't be, it, it couldn't be sustained, unfortunately. So, you know, th- that kind of went, obviously, the likes of Malcolm Christie and, you know, all those kind of players, they, they got moved on for, for what was peanuts. Derby went through a torrid, torrid time in terms of, in terms of ownership. But um, if memory serves me right, the first game of the season was against Reading. Um, they'd just been promoted from the second division or League One or whatever you wish to call it these days. Um, and I think actually we gave them a bit of a slap in. I think it was either three or four nil. Yeah. Uh, if memory serves me right, I think Matthias Fenson was was up front at the time, uh, with uh, along with ooh, I'm trying to think who it might have been now. Obviously Jordan, Ravinelli would. Maybe yeah, King Cladsey would probably. Yes, I think Kinky was there. Obviously Ravinelli was there. You know, those those types. And, you know, you win that first game. But I remember from very early on, and I mean, even as a, you know, as a, as a 14-year-old lad, it was it was very aware, like you've said, Warren, it was very aware that things were going wrong behind the scenes. Uh, and you try and hide that as much as, much as you can, um, as obviously as, as a club and as playing stuff. But it's ultimately there. And it, it will show over onto the pitch in, not in effort, in terms of effort or things like that, but just in different ways. And that season was, for me as a fan, was quite a big wake-up call. Um, a couple of things, like you said, there, it, it, it's a demanding division. Derby have been in it for 14 years. It's a very demanding division. Um, and when when everything's not in sync, behind the scenes, on the on the pitch, you know, the community around you, it, it's very easy to get to get knocked off a um, to get knocked off your perch with it all. But Obviously, something similar to what Derby fans are experiencing right at this moment in time. Um, but I think, again, there, there was that ex, um, acceptance that things were going wrong off the field. So you kind of have to understand that it's not going to be all plain sailing on on the field. Um, and I, I remember quite a few games from certainly that first season in the Championship. Um, I mean, I think, it, like I say, uh, I think it was a, a game against Preston, uh, Preston North End, uh, oh, yeah. at home, and I think we lost two nil. Um, we, we looked at that game as Derby fans. It was one of the first five or six home games, and we were like, we got absolutely outplayed. Uh, no, no disrespect meant here at all in, in any any what I'm about to say, but th- there was just something wrong. And like you say, you, you could feel that there was something wrong. Mm-hmm. And I think things did change, of course, when, like you said, those the higher earners as such went away and, you know, a few more of the youngsters got integrated into the side as, as, as they did. And obviously other players came in. I mean, I, I remember, um, I'm trying to think now, Ian Taylor was probably in the midfield yeah. alongside uh, yeah. Rob. Yeah. Um, you know, as well. Michael Johnson as well. They come in my yeah. second, third year. Yeah, absolutely. Like, Ian was great. And you're right, you know, at that time and because of, Derby, a little bit like a Newcastle, you know, people in the town live there and they, it's, they're in part of the community. So when yeah. someone gets, you know, unfortunately relieved of their job, they talk, they're season ticket holders, they know someone in the executive boxes and, you know, what's going on. And everybody was, you know, fully aware that, you know, there was whispers everywhere that was happening and what we're trying to do. But yeah, then when George took over as well, and, then, and you know, I left about Christmas time with, with George, yeah. purely for finance, you know, he said, oh, we need you out. So I said, fine, we, we, we come to an agreement and, and Ian had come in and Jono had come in and, and things like that. And they was going in, like you said, Billy McNeil was there and he was bringing in these younger kids that was, that was doing well. And, um, you know, we, we try to get some momentum, but it is, you had to try and clear the decks of what you'd had before of, you know, people not playing just because they might get, well, not only because it's not the right thing, but a 500 appearance bonus. We can't play them because we can't afford to play them. And that $500 might have won as a game against Preston or might have won as a game against Sheffield Wednesday, you know, them type of things. But it, it was all going on. But because the community was in involved in it all, you know, it's not like in London where everybody's here, there and everywhere. Derby's, you know, you live in Derby, you support Derby. It's part and parcel of it. And that's how you do. But... And it was very, very strange to do it. But it was signs of what George was trying to do, trying yeah. to change it around, new faces, without all the the baggage of being relegated. 
uh, and me and Rob was the same. You know, we both left um, because we'd gone through all that. Uh, and you know, Rob went off to play for Wickham, and I called it a day because I'd give her everything I had. I was physically and mentally drained from the game, and I just thought, you know what, I've got. I could have kept playing, but I didn't want to. I, I just thought, you know, I've got to go on to another life now. Um, and it was, you know, as I said, it was great to see Ian and, and John O do that well. And they're, they're still friends of mine now because although I only had four or four months with them, uh, they, they were good guys. They were good people. I, I must admit, uh, I'm, I'm not just saying this because uh, because you're in front of me now. I mean, from from your t- what I personally remember from you, from your time at Derby, as you say, you, you was the captain. I, I have nothing but nothing but nice words to say. Um, and like you say, with basically what was excuse the language the shitstorm going on behind the scenes um for you to even even have the f- effort and energy to, to to pull the shirt on and compete you know 46 games of a season was for not just for yourself i appreciate there's a few others that were in the same boat you know just to have that belief and um it was the red bulls i was having character. that gave me the energy the red bulls that's the first time i had a red bull before a game <laughs> so it was probably there. but listen i don't want to paint the picture that it was all because it's a great football club, you know, and I, again, I still enjoyed going in there and Davo and, but, but you're right, you know, it was, it was a shame, but um, yeah, I, I appreciate what you're saying. And I think ev- everywhere I've been, I've always tried to do my best. Uh, sometimes it's not good enough, you know, and, and that's, you have to be man enough to accept it. But, you know, I, I did appreciate the fans and the people there and, you know, we'd walk around the city and, you know, they'd be honest with you, what's going on and it is a shit show and what's happening. And you just try and be honest. And they may not like what you're saying, but you're just trying to give them the the insight because it's not, you know, people are not going out there like Chris Riggett and that not to do well or yeah. Danny Higginbottom, but they've got, I mean, Mark Poom left for what, two million? Yeah. Go to Arsenal. I mean, they yeah. was just, everyone knew that how broke the club was. And I think it was Malcolm and Chris went up to Middlesbrough. Yeah. For three million or three, three and a half. Three, four million, I think, five, yeah. Yeah. Crazy with you know, they went on and played for another ten years or whatever. So yeah. Yeah, everybody yeah. knew the situation and just come in and picked everybody and ripped the club apart. Yeah, and I think Danny Danny left not long after uh, again for, for I think it was about a million pounds. I mean yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it, you know, in money in today's money he'd be he'd, he'd be worth he'd be worth a damn sight more than that, let's put it that way. But about one point one he'd be worth Danny now. One point one. Yeah. <laughs> But I know, I mean, like you say, it's, it, it wasn't all doom and gloom. And let's face it, George Burley did um, did push Derby very close uh, in the playoffs the yep. season after. Um, and obviously, you were involved in the you know the early beginnings of that, even though you'd, you'd moved on from the club. So it, it certainly wasn't all it wasn't no. all doom and gloom. Um, unfortunately, Warren, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to bring it up. Um, I mean, I know you never scored a phys- professional goal for Derby. Um, unfortunately, I do remember you scoring at home goal. Um, I was right sat in, I was sat right in the corner behind the goal against Sheffield Wednesday uh, at Pride Park. I think we were two-one up at the time. The ball came in, ball came in from the left-hand side. You did your best to slide in, and unfortunately, it took the biggest ricochet you've ever seen um, off off your shoulder. I think it might have been. And, Unfortunately, looped in into the back of the net, but that's, that's one of the standout moments. I think you're being kind to me. It was a it was a bad one. I, as I said, I tried to block it out, and it, it just bounced in. But yeah, that was just, and that's when you. I think the picture I'm sitting there looking at, and you think, okay, now you know, yeah, where where do you go from here? But you have to dust yourself down and, and get on with it. But yeah, yeah, it wasn't. I didn't score any goals. I got I got an own goal, and I think I even got a red card as well against Preston for yes, just being yes. so frustrated. Just yeah. everything was in there. I, and you know what it was? He took the ball off me, and instead of just being getting it back off of him, I, I was just so uptight. I just grabbed it and pushed him back, and the referee gave me a, a red card. So yeah. Thanks for bringing that up, Jason. No, I, I'm, so, I'm sorry, Warren. <laughs> I had to. I had to. It's like you say again. Is, is it? As the club captain, and we, we've seen it in, in recent seasons with Derby, um, the, the pressure of what's going on behind you, it, it does it does take its toll. Yeah. I think because you, you do take it personally, you know, whether yeah. you, know, you see something in the media or, they, you, you know, that's me as a person. I take it as personal. I want to make sure that we do the best we can. Um, and if we lose, uh, well, uh, you can accept that, but, you know... Um, there's certain things that are out of your control. Um, all you can try and can do is control what's going on. And you know, there were some good times, as I said, but there was a couple of yeah. ones that I'd rather delete, if that's okay. 
<laughs> no, I fully agree with you. And as I say, from from that first ever season ticket, I remember for just some of the, and I've had one ever since. To be perfectly honest with you, um, yeah, it, the old club was going through a bad time um, at, at that point, and unfortunately, I don't think anybody on the pitch was ever to blame or deserved any fingers to be pointed at them. It, it was all decisions made above and beyond their heads. To be perfectly honest with you, and as I say, when it got ripped apart the way that it did, there was only really ever ever one outcome um, and it was it was never going to be a, a massive positive one on the pitch it was never going to be a, a bounce back to the Premier League unfortunately and of course it took a couple of years for Derby to stabilise after, after it um, yeah. in fact it took quite a few years to stabilise after it to be perfectly honest with you and I suppose uh, in recent seasons Corey as you probably would agree with me that it's actually only now that some of that actually you look back at 10 years ago and go well actually if that hadn't have happened Derby might not be in the position that they're in in, in at this moment in time for, for a positive actually more than more than a negative. You look at Leeds. I think like Leeds, sixteen years, and it took them sixteen years to get over it. Yeah. Sixteen years to get over that, you know, and hopefully it's not for for Derby, but you know they've had opportunities now to try and bounce back, um, and now they're competing, uh, and it's, it it takes you that long sometimes, and you know the same situation with Newcastle when they went down, lucky enough and. Fans don't like to hear it, but Mike Ashley stood with them. You know, he could he could have quite easily walked away, and and then you never know what might happen. But he got them back up, in that, and that's why it's so important that first year. And going back to what I said, you know, Leicester kept all their senior players, and they bounced straight back up again. And you know, they go on and win it. They go on and win a bloody Premier League, which is most biggest story ever, I think, in the fantastic. Premier League history. Um, and that's where the the fine things. You think, well, if that had happened, if we could have done this or we'd done that, it might have been different. But you know, that's why we love the game and love each club and, you know, people like the, the you know, we don't like saying it, but the ranch, you know, I mean, sorry, not the forest, you know, they're in that same predicament. They want to get up. Sheffield Wednesday's another big club that have been down and bounced back up. So, you know, you look at West Brom, they're that team that go up and down all the time. So there's some really big clubs and good clubs that are in the championship. And that's why everybody at the start of the season, you know, even now with, with Derby, they felt like they got a good chance to bounce up. It's not started well. Um, but they need to get their act together. And they've got, they've got the players to do it. I mean, as I said, a good conversation with Shea about the club and they're trying to get them to go forward and, and be positive. Got some good young players. They've always done well with the academy over there. Facilities are great. So you never know. Hopefully things can, can, can get going this season. Yeah, fingers crossed. Corey, go on. I'm going to pass it on to you. Warren, before we let you go, we're going to discuss just, just briefly what you're up to these days out, out in the States. Yeah, um, I'm retired in 05. Uh, in 08, I moved out here with my wife and three young boys at the time, uh, 10, 8 and 4. Um, went to San Diego. It was really to a, a lifestyle, you know, with the, the climate and uh, to coach my kids, to be around with my family. Um, and we haven't really looked back. I work with Fox Sports now and, you know, in the times I've done the Premier League, Champions League, World Cups, um, you know, now Bundesliga uh, that we've done and MLS. So I've been very, very lucky. You know, I've done the media over here uh, and had the opportunity to be with my family. I'm starting now, if I'm being honest, to get itchy feet about, you know, coaching at a high level, whether it's a, a league called the USL or even MLS. Um, I would like to be involved in that. I uh, enjoy my media side, but I've got my, you know, UEFA B, A and Pro license. So I'd like to be involved in that. But, I've, you know, as I said, I've lucky enough, I wake up every morning, the sun's up. Um, and, you know, we, we have a great lifestyle here for my wife and, and, and the kids. So, you know, uh, I've enjoyed it. And you know, America, like everybody at the moment, is going through a difficult time. But, you know, how positive they can be, family orientated. And um, if we can all get through this situation at the moment, uh, I'm sure things will get better everywhere. But I've, I've loved it, as I said, being in, in the States and how the people are being friendly and you know, welcoming to me. Um, I agree with you, uh, Warren, having been to San Diego myself, it's an absolute, uh, beautiful, beautiful spot on this earth. And, uh, I'm actually, people, I tell too many people. I'm very jealous because I look out your back window and I'm thinking, Christ, I could do with me some of that. Um, a couple more questions for me, Warren, uh, just real quick, you know, you've had a long career in football. You've played with, um, you just named some really great players that you've played with over the years. Who's the best player that you've, you've had the pleasure of playing with? Uh, or, or against that you've seen firsthand? Well, I think as a number nine, Alan Shearer is the best striker I've ever played with. How ruthless he is in front of goal. Um, 
Paul Gascoigne before Euro 96 was phenomenal. Being around Paul as a, as a player, so playing with him. And I'd throw Peter Beardsley into that. And then playing against would be Omri. And I've had the pleasure of playing against someone like Sedan. So they would be up there. Uh, and week in, week out, playing against Ryan. Ryan Giggs, when he was at Man United, would be... We, we played each other for over, like, 12, 13 years and watch him grow through his career and play against him. So that they would be the ones, you know, I've been lucky enough to, to play with some wonderful players, but, you know, Alan and Gaza would, would come to mind and uh, playing against Zidane and, and Ryan Giggs and Henri, uh, when he was at Arsenal for Henri was, was unplayable sometimes. And I've also looked, you know, you, you, we talked about your career, we talked about the players, but the managers that you've, you know, worked under over your career, Sir Bobby Robson, Rod Hillett, um, John Gregory, uh, Kevin Keegan, you know, these are some big names. Um, best manager that you've worked under? Terry Venables for England was brilliant uh, in the sense, and you can throw Kenny Dalgleish as well, the little bit of time and KK. But I think as a package, as with media, tactics, fans, man-to-man management, I think Sir Bobby Robson, you don't go any further than him. Uh, anyone that's watched that documentary about him loves the game, would, would spend hours talking to fans or stewards at games and just a lovely, lovely man. Uh, but more importantly, he, he was so in love with the game and respect the game. So for me, Sir Bobby Robson uh, would, would, be, would, would be the one. Jason? Yeah, I mean, other than that, obviously now, Warren, you've turned your, turned your hand to, to coaching and, and other things. Um, you've had a taste of, obviously, the MLS and working in, in involvement in that. Um, just your opinion. Uh, we've, we've had a couple of uh, people who've gone between, the, you know, the English League and the MLS. Uh, what's your opinion on, on, the, on the differences between the two? Do you think it's the MLS is really starting to, to pull its own weight now? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was 25-year anniversary. Um, and just before COVID, it was really bouncing. And the, the younger players that was coming in, and obviously Wayne Rooney being part of it when he came over and the short time they had with DC and Slatan and Beckham, them type of people, but have really pushed the game. But you know, the younger players, the academy's getting stronger. I'd like to see more American players being given the chance, but a lot of coaches are under pressure, and that becomes with the financial uh, aspects of the game. Uh, you are dealing with three other major sports, or four other major sports, and college football and college basketball. So it's not just like in the UK, it's one sport or two sports you're up against. Um, but definitely the league is getting stronger, the coaches are getting better. Uh, the second tier underneath that, the USL. So it's definitely growing and it's very, very similar to what the championship is. You know, they try and make it parity with the money. Um, but th- there's some very, very good younger players and uh, there's some very good coaches as well out here. Wonderful. Well, Warren, I, to be honest with you, we could probably talk for another hour, but we're not going to take up that much of your time, mate. So absolutely a, a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you very much for uh, giving us this opportunity. Um, and hopefully, certainly for... For all anybody who listens to our podcast who, who can reminisce about some of the things that you've that you did in the English game and obviously again certainly about the times that you're at Derby. Um it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. No, no, thank you, fellas. Stay safe and uh, as I said, hopefully things go well for the Rams and Derby and, and Newcastle and everybody else. But thank you very much for your time. Not a problem. Yeah, thank appreciate you. Appreciate it, Warren. Thank you. Corey, as always, it's Jason. been a pleasure speaking to you too. Thank you very much. That's all for today, guys. Thank you very much and take care and up the Rams. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of the Rams Review Podcast. Please remember to get in touch on the socials. On Twitter, we are at RamsReview1. Our Facebook is Rams Review Podcast, or you could drop us an email, ramsreview at hotmail.com. Until next time, thank you very much, and up the Rams.